if you think about boundaries as a gift, not only a gift to yourself, but a gift to the people in your life around you that you want to have a relationship with. Boundaries are how you establish this idea of we can have the best relationship possible if we each respect these limits from each other. And I can show up as my fullest self and give the most to people around me. I want to give to my job, to my friends, to my family, to my kids, but I can't do that if I'm trying to pour from an empty cup. And boundaries are how I ensure that I maintain my own energy, my own capacity, my own time, my own mental health in a sustainable way so that I can continue to do that. Welcome back to Get Psyched. Oh my gosh, it feels so good to be back on the mic. And I couldn't be more excited to be back and bringing Melissa Urban on the show. We talk all about boundary setting. I have got to tell you guys on all of my Instagram posts, on all of my messages, all of the DMs, all of the feedback I get on the podcast, boundary setting has got to be the top of the list. And Melissa wrote the book on boundaries. So today we dive into boundaries in the Whole30. For those of you that are not familiar with the Whole30, I totally encourage you to check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. And it can be your way, your guide, your boundaries to food freedom. So definitely check it out. Melissa is the co-founder of the Whole30 and shares how this experience, how being so immersed in the Whole30 and how teaching people how to set boundaries with food actually set her up to write this book. We talk about the freedom and boundaries. We talk about being clear with people actually being one of the kindest things you can do, giving people the roadmap of how to communicate with you most effectively. And if boundary setting still feels tough, we actually give you scripts for setting boundaries. So for those of you that are like, who I'm a recovering people pleaser and boundaries still feel hard, or maybe you have a hard time accepting other people's boundaries, this episode is for you, and I could not be more excited to share it with all of you. As you know, ratings and reviews drive the show. They also put smiles on my face, so I want you to take just a second, if you have it, you're already in the app, to leave a five-star rating and review for Get Psyched as it helps me continue to get awesome guests like Melissa on the show. Until next week, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Get Psyched. I'm super excited because we are sitting down with boundary queen herself, Melissa Urban. I've been following you, oh man, for a very long time on, on social media and all the things starting in the CrossFit world and the whole 30 days and have so loved your content lately around boundary setting and making it simple for everyone. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Melissa, thanks for Thank joining. You. Yeah, thanks so much, Lindsay. I'm really excited to chat with you too. So let's dive right in. What kind of prompted this big, almost feels like rebrand of content coming out with boundary setting and how to's? Yeah, it's, it's actually more an evolution of what I've already been doing with Whole30 for the last 12 years. So when you really, I don't know how familiar you are with Whole30, if 
if you've ever done one, but anyone who's done a Whole30 knows that it is in part a boundary program. It's a 30-day elimination diet where you eliminate various food groups for 30 straight days. And when you eliminate these food groups, things like alcohol, grains, dairy, added sugar, you find yourself saying no quite a bit. Do you want a glass of wine at happy hour? No, thank you. Uh, you can pass the bread basket. You're going to say no thank you to the pizza at the birthday party. So I've been helping people set boundaries around food and alcohol and maybe their own diets. And maybe as they start exploring the Whole30, setting boundaries around diet talk or weight loss talk or commentary on their own bodies. That's something that I've been doing for the better part of a, more than a decade at this point. And people found that strengthening their boundary muscles on the Whole30, where you always had the program rules to fall back on, was a great way to start practicing setting boundaries in other areas of their life. So once people found out that I was really good at helping them say no to pizza and break room donuts and wine at happy hour, they started asking me about saying no to their pushy coworker, their toxic mother-in-law, their emotionally draining friend, and how to say, how to set healthy boundaries in a way that was still clear, still kind, but helped to preserve their mental health and the relationship. So this boundaries content that I've been talking about so heavily on my social media feed for the last three or four years now is really just a progression of what I've already been helping people do through the Whole30. Yeah, I remember I've done a lot. I've done the Whole30 a handful of times. I've done macros. I've done all these different things. And um, I remember one time it was right after my dad had passed away, which was unexpected and grief hits you. And I felt like one of the only things I had in my control in that moment was my nutrition, right? I was mm -hmm. like, all of this stuff is happening around me. And I always have the autonomy to choose what I am putting in my body. And I remember explaining that to somebody and they were in their grief and everything else. And we were at, um, it was actually at my dad's celebration of life. And I wasn't eating a lot of the stuff that I had out for other people. And someone made a comment like, well, that's weird. Like what a weird time to choose to do this. And I was like, or the perfect time to choose yeah. to do this. Right. I'm yeah. actually finding all of this freedom in a world where I feel like I can't choose much right now. Yes. What I can choose. So have you found that kind of, I think a lot of people think of boundaries as no boundaries. Like what are all the things I won't do as opposed to what is all the energy I, I will allow into my life? What is, you know, kind of a yes boundary, if you will. Yes. And that is such an important point. I've done extensive surveys within my community where I've talked to thousands of people about the idea of boundaries. And what do you think of when I talk to you about the idea of establishing a healthy boundary practice? And what I have found so interestingly is that in the beginning, people think about boundaries as all of the things that will allow them to eliminate from their life. So when you have a healthy boundary practice, you are helping to eliminate stress and resentment and anxiety and burnout and energy drains and capacity drains and mental health depletion. All of those things you get those negative things you can help to eliminate with a boundary practice but once people start setting and holding healthy boundaries they then begin to graduate into all of the freedoms that a boundary practice will bring the freedom to 
you know, no longer worry about your interactions with this person or that a specific conversation topic is going to come up. The freedom to engage openly and fully in your relationships, knowing that your limits will be respected. The freedom to, as you mentioned, take care of yourself in a way that feels really nourishing and validating to you. And that's an incredible freedom outside of just food. So I think it is a practice where people originally think, oh, I will finally be able to like let this weight off my shoulders with this establishment of boundaries. But then they start to realize all of the ways that boundaries actually expand their life and make them make their life bigger instead of shrinking it, which I think is a really common misconception about boundaries. Yeah. I like to say that boundaries are invitations, not limitations, um, because they are draining, which I would love to dive into because I think that, you know, there's kind of almost this, um, social media has ran with a more toxic side of boundary setting. Like no is a complete sentence. It's like, yes, it is. And what is the nuance there, right? What is, when you're speaking with your employer or your partner, right? Like, no, probably sure. It's setting a boundary, but it's probably not setting one that's super sustainable. Um, So can you kind of talk about the nuances that you might run into when you're new to this practice? Yes. So it absolutely, it's, there's a, a really fine line between this idea of empowering people to understand that they have the right and they deserve to set the boundaries that are right for their mental health, for their safety, for their physical well-being, and not overly exaggerating how direct these boundaries should be. Because yes, no is a complete sentence. And in some circumstances, that might be entirely appropriate. And also in others, you probably want to share a little bit more because the point of a boundary is to improve a relationship, to deepen a connection, not to throw up a wall that keeps everybody out and you trapped inside. So I think it's really important. And it's hard to do that sometimes with just a social media post or a carousel. So one of the things that I talk about, and it's the foundation of my boundary practice, and I borrowed it with gracious permission from Brene Brown, is this idea of clear is kind. I think that sometimes people want to set boundaries, but they only, they do it in such like a squishy way. So they might have a little passive aggressive response or a very gentle, like they might laugh it off and hope the person gets the hint not to bring that up again. That's not setting a clear kind boundary. You're not establishing what you are willing to do in the face of this person's behavior or actions or words, right? You're kind of just hinting at it and that's not clear or kind at the same time you don't want to be so direct that it's incredibly off-putting and you completely sever that relationship because as you mentioned boundaries are an invitation to to connect more deeply so i have this kind of boundary practice that's based on the concept of like minimum dose maximum effect and you've probably heard that in the fitness world before it's actually a physics principle but it's been adapted into a variety of different disciplines but it's how gently can i go in with my boundary it's still clear it's very kind but how gently can i go in and still achieve the result i want to achieve and that's kind of the foundation of the scripts that i come up with for how to speak these boundaries if you you know, if the threat is relatively low 
to your relationship and it's the first time this person's overstepped a boundary or they're not causing tremendous harm, you don't want to go in with a flamethrower, right? You want to set a gentle, clear boundary to establish that limit and go on with your relationship. If you need to escalate, you might escalate to the point where no, as a complete sentence, is absolutely appropriate in that context. But in a lot of cases, that's not necessarily where I would start. And something that I think is especially hard, and I know a lot of my listener base um, consists of women, I think that there's this, whether you subscribe to it or not, right, societal norm that like setting boundaries makes you a bitch or hard or any of these things. So as we're having this conversation and this is illuminating, wow, this is actually giving people permission the correct way to interact with me. And this sounds really great. How do people, especially women, start getting over that roadblock or that societal quote unquote norm that, you know, maybe the the angry boundary setting woman, there's no place for her in society. Yeah, and this is a really tricky situation because, so first of all, you don't have to subscribe to it because we're all swimming in the patriarchy and we are all swimming in misogyny and sexism. And you and I, as white women, have a very different experience than women of color who have that intersectionality to navigate as well. So I've often said, and in the author's note in my book, I say, like, setting a boundary is a privilege. And as a white woman, I'm able to go into a situation and expect, in a lot of cases, because of all of my unearned privilege, that my boundary is probably going to be respected. And that is not the case for other women. So I just want to acknowledge the fact that there are like levels to this. But as women, we have been societally conditioned by the patriarchy and sexism and misogyny and internalized misogyny to keep ourselves small. Right. We don't we shouldn't have needs. We should put other people's needs ahead of our own and to have our own needs is selfish. We should play small. We shouldn't advocate for ourselves, our purpose and our mission in life. And this is especially true if you were raised in particular religious communities are places to serve. And so I didn't have boundaries modeled for me by my parents, by my mom, by their parents. I wasn't taught the practice of healthy boundaries. In fact, we're not taught this practice. We're not taught in school. We're not taught in work. They're often not modeled by our parents. So we grow up with this idea that advocating for yourself is like, a that's something that's, you know, appropriate for men, but not necessarily for women. When we do advocate for ourselves, we are called some of those words like selfish or bitchy or cold. And it makes it really challenging to Think about how do I start advocating for myself in this position? But when you, if you think about boundaries as a gift, not only a gift to yourself, but a gift to the people in your life around you that you want to have a relationship with. Boundaries are how you establish this idea of we can have the best relationship possible if we each respect these limits from each other. And I can show up as my fullest self and give the most to people around me. I want to give to my job, to my friends, to my family, to my kids, but I can't do that if I'm trying to pour from an empty cup. And boundaries are how I ensure that I maintain my own energy, my own capacity, my own time, my own mental health in a sustainable way so that I can continue to do that. It is a real paradigm shift, but if someone listening now is in the practice of beginning boundaries and wondering how to start breaking out of this guilt 
cycle they feel when they set it, look to other women who are modeling healthy boundaries and look to them for how to do it. That's kind of one of the, I think, ways that we can break out of this mindset that setting a boundary is selfish or mean. Yeah. How did you, cause you name, right? Like not having that modeled for you in school or your parents or really anywhere. Do we get this kind of education until the book on boundaries comes out? Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you start shifting that paradigm? How did that start becoming uh, a light that you wanted to walk towards? As I talk about in the intro in the book, the first boundary I ever set was an honest to God, life saving experiment. Like I had, I was fresh out of rehabilitation for the second time for my drug addiction. The first time I relapsed, I came out of rehab the second time and realized that nothing really had changed in the second experience. I was still putting myself in harm's way. My friends didn't really know how at risk I was. I was trying to pretend like everything was fine and like clinging by my fingertips to my recovery and recognizing that if something didn't change and I didn't know what it was, but if something didn't change, I, I didn't know I would come back. I didn't know if I'd be able to come back another time. And I found myself in a really perilous predicament at a party with a really good friend where I was very much at risk of losing my recovery. And in that moment, an honest to God boundary just tumbled out of my mouth. And it was the first time that I was able to advocate for my own needs with a really good friend. And I was afraid that by speaking it, I would lose the friendship. I would lose his support. He would make fun of me. He would trivialize it. He would minimize it. And it, I was lucky. He was a very good friend who listened carefully, immediately recognized what I was asking of him. And he got me out of that situation right away. And that was the moment the light bulb went off. And I realized that boundaries were going to be the key to my recovery. I had to set up these protective barriers between me and my addiction such that should I find myself in a difficult situation or should I feel unprepared for, you know, an invitation that is in front of me, I had all of these buffers between me and using. And that was really how it started for me was in this, what felt like very life or death moment. Yeah. I, um, I worked in rehab centers for years and that was actually kind of what launched me into going back to school and becoming a therapist. And I remember we would do this practice and it was called broken record. And you would literally sit down with the client and, you know, pretend to be a friend or an old running buddy or any of these things and just try to break down their boundary. Yeah. And the idea of broken record, right. Is that your boundary becomes a broken record. Like, yes. Hey, come out with us tonight. It's like, no, that's actually really not good for my sobriety, yeah. but like, it's going to be all your friends and all these things. Right. So people are constantly going to push. And this idea of broken record They'll worked well in theory and people really do get sick of running up against the same wall time and time again. It's exhausting to yeah. set that. So how do you start to recognize, okay, where is there a boundary that this is actually an invitation for this person to stay in my life? And where do I need a boundary when it's like, Hey, this is actually getting really crunchy and you're not respecting anything that I'm saying. And I'm, I'm becoming this broken record. How do we yes. start to navigate that? I think it's very contextual. So 
you know, it obviously depends on the situation. If you're talking about a recovery situation, if I had said to my friend, again, please don't bring drugs into my apartment. And the second time they did it, I you know, kicked them out. And the third time they did it, I would be done. I have very, I think you have to think about how serious is the threat with this boundary overstep. So I categorize them in the book in terms of green, yellow, red. Green where the threat is like pretty minimal. It's not a ton of harm. It's like the first time it's happened. Yellow is, okay, I'm either starting to sense a pattern or the threat of this boundary overstep is actually going to have ser pretty serious impact on my life. And red is, this is the last thing that I am going to do or say before I enact my boundary, which is essentially break up with you as a friend, kick you out of my house, cut off all communication, whatever that looks like, that final action that I am going to take to keep myself safe and healthy. When it comes to a red situation, like a recovery situation, I have very little margin. You're going to go from green to red very quickly. And I realized almost immediately that there were several people that I was not going to be able to keep in my life because they were incapable of respecting that boundary. That's that's where they were and i completely understood it but to keep myself safe and healthy i had to remove myself there are other situations maybe it's you know when you get together with your family your aunts and cousins are constantly talking about the diet they're on or their body weight and you find that really triggering and it's really unhealthy for your mental health and your relationship with food in that situation i may end up repeating that yellow boundary again and again and again because a you're talking about this long-standing family and cultural and societal conversation that is going to take up probably a little while for them to kick themselves out of. And I really want to keep these people in my life. And so if a brief reminder of like, oh, oh wait, remember we said we weren't talking about our weight loss diets. Um, Aunt Laurie, tell me about your vacation. How was Maui? If I can keep doing that broken record style and in the moment they respect that, I'm willing to continue to do that because because I feel like I'm able to impart change in the family dynamic and that keeps me in that relationship. Again, at some point you have to say to yourself, this is now taking a toll on my mental health. I am constantly having to defend myself against these behaviors. And now it's like time for me to take the action I need, which is I leave the room when this comes up or I just stop joining them for Saturday coffee because that's when this comes up the most. Yeah. How do you start to recognize that? Because I think for so many of us, like you named, it can be so normal. It can feel like, oh, we're all talking about the holidays and we're going to talk about this crash diet. We're all going to do January 1st. And that feels really triggering for me. Um, some people might not even have the insight that that's triggering because it's so normal. Right. Yeah. So as they start to think to themselves, perhaps it's this conversation, perhaps it's something else they see like, oh, that actually isn't a quote normal feeling, or that doesn't feel good for my nervous system, or that is really triggering. How do they start to identify what their need is in that situation? Because I think a yeah. lot of us get pretty good at identifying the feelings and we get stuck in the feelings. We don't get stuck in actually we don't find the need that actually needs to be tended to. So can, yes. is there a way yeah. to work backwards from that and begin to establish the boundary? I think that there is. And I talk about this quite a bit in the book. So the very first thing, of course, is knowing that you need a boundary. And there are a lot of signs that I go through kind of outline in bullet point format. But the idea of feeling dread around seeing a particular person or wondering if a particular subject is going to come up. That's a sign you need a boundary. Um, this idea of avoiding certain people. 
you know, proactively, that's a sign you might need a boundary with that person. Feeling like you can't show up as yourself with people or certain groups, that's a sign you need a boundary. After you leave them, you feel worse about yourself. That's a sign you need a boundary. So there are all these little signs, these alerts, these feelings that trigger you to the idea that I need a boundary. But what I also need you to do is get clear on exactly what your limit is before you try to set that boundary. So I'll give you an example. Somebody wrote to me and said, we have to go from house to house. Everybody expects that we're at their house during the holidays. I've got divorced parents. Everyone lives close. We end up running around like crazy on Christmas Day, and it's like not fun for us. I need to set a boundary here. The prompt I gave this person is, okay, but what is the boundary? I need you to really think about what part of this interaction, what part of the relationship or the conversation is giving you the most stress. And if you could eliminate that part, now all of a sudden you have freedom. What we figured out was that it wasn't the going from house to house part that was stressful. She actually didn't mind that at all. It wasn't a far drive. She loved getting to see her family. The part that was stressful is knowing that at each parent's house, they were going to guilt trip her a little bit about leaving to go see the other parent. And once we figured that out, I was like, that's your boundary. So you have to spend some time thinking about which part of this interaction is giving me the most stress or dread or anxiety. What's one place where I could set a limit, an action taken from the self to keep myself safe and healthy that would bring about the biggest change and the biggest sense of relief. Until you get clear on what you want your boundary to be, you're not going to have great success communicating it to someone else. And had this person gone to her family and said, we just can't go to all four houses at Christmas, it's too stressful, she probably would have robbed herself and her relationships of this experience that she actually really enjoyed. What she needed to do was approach her mom and her dad separately before the holiday and say, here's the deal, we're going to come, we're going to stay for an hour, I'm going to give you our full time and attention, but before we leave... I do not want to hear one piece of like guilt or guilt tripping about how we are going to leave to see the other family. We love seeing all of you. We love you equally. And that piece is really uncomfortable for us. So if you can agree to that, we will come and really enjoy our time with you. That was what made all the difference. And it sounds like you and her, there was a big process, right? Kind of peeling back the layers of what actually feels crunchy about this experience if people don't have a coach or someone like you to guide them through those boundaries, is there a way that they can start to work backwards themselves and find that, that boundary that needs to be set? Yeah, there actually wasn't a big back and forth. That's the most beautiful part about this idea of like getting clear. All I had to do was say to her, what part of this day, this holiday, is the most stressful. What's the one part where you go, oh, if I don't have to, if I only didn't have to do that, I would feel so much relief. And she immediately keyed on sitting at the dinner table, getting ready to go, listening to my mom give me a hard time about leaving to go see my dad. Boom, she nailed it right away. So I think just this process of sitting in the experience for a minute and allowing yourself to kind of visually perhaps move through the experience. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to get to this, my, my mom's on the holidays, uh, we're, we're going to greet each other, we're going to sit down, we're going to open presents, like, oh, I'm still feeling really good about this, I don't mind the drive, I don't mind, and then you get to the part where you're like, boom, this is the uncomfortable part. So if getting together with your girlfriends is giving you a little bit of anxiety and dread, it's like, okay, what piece of that is? Is it the kind of conversations that you always have? Is it the fact that they're always 
I don't know, giving you unsolicited advice about your dating life? Is it the way they peer pressure you around food or alcohol? What piece of this interaction are you dreading the most or would feel the most relief if you were able to eliminate just this portion? That's the first boundary you need to set. I love that. I think what's really tough is that people naturally, right? We lean out of discomfort. We don't want to lean into it and get curious. So are there any practices that might make that process more, I don't know, less crunchy for somebody, more yeah. more inviting? You know, I think this is what I, I talk about this again in the book, but people don't want to set boundaries because it's uncomfortable. Because the idea of sitting in that discomfort, identifying the area that feels the least comfortable, thinking about the verbiage and actually setting the boundary, all of that is uncomfortable. It really is. But what you are doing right now is also really uncomfortable. The sense of dread and anxiety that you feel when you think about this person, the fact that you're always on guard when you're around them, just wondering if this conversation topic or this action or behavior is gonna pop up. The way you ruminate on it after the fact, like, oh, why did I let that happen? And why do I keep doing this to myself? The fact that you get angry and have fights with them in your head instead of actually talking to them in real life, all of that is uncomfortable too. One of those paths leads to improved self-confidence, a better relationship, more relief, more freedom, a reduction of anxiety, and that is the path through the discomfort. If you want to keep going around the discomfort, the hardest part is it's going to still be uncomfortable and you're going to end up in the same relationship that you currently have now. So I really think about it as allowing this discomfort and, and taking the path through. It's really a gift to future you. It is. And it's so much easier than all of the avoiding and conversations in your head and made up fights and negative self-talk that you're experiencing now without the boundary in place. You know, what's so funny is I have always used the Whole30 as an example. Um, before my first Whole30 experience, I um, was new to CrossFit, which I think is a lot of people's kind of gateway into this, this challenge. Um, and I was of the mindset of like, yeah, I work out this hard so I can eat pizza and I can eat donuts and I can do all the things. And then I did Whole30 and I started sleeping better. My skin immediately cleaned up all of these different things. And it was this noticing of, wow, I didn't realize my baseline was so shitty until yeah. I felt something better. Yes. And it, it became very clear that it was like, wow, I really don't like, sure. Every once in a while, while I splurge and have one of those things, because I think that there's, you know, a lot of healing and community and sharing that can go into having a slice of cake on somebody's yeah. birthday. I don't need it all the time, but I love being able to do those things. Absolutely. And I now know that I don't ever want to feel the way I felt when I was getting five or six broken hours of sleep a night or constantly yeah. dealing with acne. And I, it's very, very similar with the energetics of the relationships in your life. Yes, it very much is. And there are, of course, so many parallels between the Whole30 and a boundary practice and so many intersections. But, you know, I think that the, and I 
said this before about some of my own therapy practices. When I went back to therapy to unpack my trauma, which I had been avoiding for like the better part of a decade, and that's why I used drugs in the first place, I came out the other side going, oh, shit, that was 10 times easier than all of the mental and physical gymnastics I have been doing to try to avoid it. And I think what you need to do with a boundary practice, what I want people to experience is I want you to get one win. Just give yourself one win, set one boundary in one area where it makes a difference. And then that inertia is going to carry you through An object in motion stays in motion. And once you realize the power of a boundary practice, it will force you and encourage you and you will be happy to start looking for other areas of your life that would benefit from a boundary. And you will start to develop this like repertoire of language to set these boundaries with a variety of people in a variety of situations and a variety of threat levels. And the more you do, the more your practice expands, the more freedom you gain, the more energy you regain, the more anxiety you shed, the more self-confidence you build, that's gonna carry over into every single area of your life. And I say the same thing about your whole 30 experience too. I think if people are interested in starting a boundary practice and they're not sure where to start, the whole 30 would be the perfect place because not only are you learning about boundaries around food and drink and diet talk and your body in a healthy, supportive environment with the whole 30 program rules as a backup in case you really feel backed into a wall, but the self-confidence that it brings, the energy, the better sleep, the happier mood, the reduction in bloating and aches and pains, and like all of these benefits that the Whole30 brings will lift you up to a new level of self-efficacy. And that's where you can then apply, start applying your boundary practice in other areas. What would you say is probably one of, because I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, this sounds awesome and there's a practical application to it. And then they think about doing it. And like we've talked about, there's this discomfort. And I like to think that the proof is in the pudding, right? We've all set boundaries that are really freaking hard. What would you say is one of the harder boundaries that you've had to set? I mean, I definitely have had to set hard boundaries with my parents around my own parenting now that I have a son. So having to tell my parents, um, I am not requesting or receiving your feedback around my co-parenting relationship. That was a hard one. Having to tell my husband when he, you know, now husband, but when we were first engaged and he was ready to move into the house with us, like having to say to him, um, I need a, I need a day alone. So I'm going to go take off into the mountains by myself, having to explain to someone newer in my life about my requirement for alone time for my mental health and my recharging and learning how to set boundaries there in a way that was not only healthy for me, but also healthy for the relationship because that boundary could not come at the expense of his mental health or the expense of the connection we were building. That was really challenging and required me to go back to therapy for a while, which was super duper helpful. Some of the boundaries I set with my kid are really hard, you know? This idea of like, yeah, I could buy you that thing right now, but I'm not going to because I wanna teach you the value of working for things and the fact that you can't just have whatever you want because there's money in a bank account somewhere or even the idea of like, hey, I need 10 minutes of alone time before I come play with you. It's sometimes hard because as a mom, I feel like I have to give everything I have to my child. And I do within healthy limits. 
So I think there are a few examples of boundaries that I've found pretty uncomfortable to set, but because I have so much experience at this point and I have so much proof of concept, I know that setting them is going to be the best thing for the relationship and for my own health. And that's what kind of motivates me to move through that discomfort. Yeah. How do you start to research boundaries? Because I think when you listen to podcasts of, right, like we talked about Brene Brown earlier and she talks about you know, all of her research and vulnerability and how that was actually stemming from her research on shame and shame resiliency. How do you even go about measuring or studying or researching boundaries and the effects that people have received from that? It's really interesting. You know, of course, I've done a deep dive into all of the books and a lot of different articles. There aren't a lot of like scientific studies on the impact of boundaries. You see more kind of case studies, boundaries in the workplace, for example. I think there are also a lot of people and tangential subjects that apply really well to boundaries. Anything that Brene Brown writes, anything that Glennon Doyle writes. I think about, you know, Tiffany Aliche's financial and budgeting advice. And like that is all applicable in the world of boundaries. One of the things that really frustrated me though, in all of my research over the last 10 years, is that I would see therapists, experts in um, the medical field, the business field, authors, they would talk about boundaries, the benefits of boundaries and um, the kinds of boundaries you might want to set, but rarely would they tell you how to say it. And that was the piece that I found the most frustrating. And that's why my book has like 130 different scripts that you can say word for word, because I would get so excited about this idea of like, yes, I do need to set a boundary with my parents or am I co-parenting? That's so important. And I get to the end of the article and be like, they didn't tell me at all how to do this. So I think, you know, any kind of self-help, self-empowerment, you know, whether it's Atomic Habits, uh, I love BJ Fogg's book, Tiny Habits. That's like my go-to habit book. Um, Jen Sincero's You Are a Badass. All of those are super good for shoring up and supporting a boundary practice. But I wrote the book that I was really missing when I was doing my own research. And like I found places that I wanted more information and nobody was really sharing them that way. Oh, well, thank you for doing it. Yeah. <laughs> because damn, I could not agree more. And I think that for a lot of people, right, something we talked about earlier is the boundary. They have it. They know it. It takes some time peeling back the layers and it absolutely helps to obviously have a script to have these other support systems in your life that make it easier to find what the need is and be able to express it. Yeah. What would you say are some of the boundaries that people don't necessarily register as a boundary that when you kind of say to them like, oh, like, I don't know, that person shouldn't have said that to you, right? There's almost this um, waking up, if you will, when someone else points it out to you, what are some of the little boundaries that people might not realize are actually taking a toll on their mental health? Yeah. I, you know, so it's interesting because one person's totally fine with me. No big deal is another person's holy shit. That's way too far. So I use the um, example all the time of like the in-laws who drop by without calling. Some people really enjoy that. They do because the in-laws are like so easy and they have so much fun with the kids and they're helpful and they they pop over and they don't expect to be waited on hand to foot and other people see that in as a major interruption a major sort of imposition and like that's not acceptable to them so it is important to note that even if i share 
a boundary here. That may not be one that you want to or could set. I think we often let sexist comments, jokes, microaggressions, uh, homophobia, we let that slide pretty often because it feels uncomfortable to call it out and we don't really know what our boundary is in that situation. And as soon as someone points it out, like um, I was, I told this story on Instagram not too long ago, but I was outside barefoot doing something in my yard when the mailman came to bring my mail. He's an older gentleman. And um, he went to hand me my mail and he said, put your hand out. And I did thinking he was gonna give me my mail and he grabbed my hand and he turned it over and he slapped my hand. And he said, shame on you for being out here barefoot, like you'll hurt yourself. And I did not know how to react in that instance. And the boundary lady herself just laughed it off and went back inside because I was so just completely, uh, it was it was so highly inappropriate and so unexpected. When I told that story, I had hundreds of women say, holy shit, that's something like that has happened to me where someone I didn't know, a total stranger interacted with me in a way that was grossly inappropriate. And I didn't realize that that was a boundary overstep. So I think I can, you know, name a ton of situations. And when you read through either the scripts in the book or listen to the comments on my Instagram page or just talk to anybody about, you know, their own boundary practice, I think you could identify other areas of your life. Another really big one is when I say to people, oh, let me stop you there. I really don't want to talk about my body or weight. And people go, I can do that. Yeah, you absolutely can. You can 100% opt out of any conversation that involves your body, your weight, your food on your plate or anyone else's. You can absolutely not receive that information or like take a step back. So the more we talk about this and the more I, you know, we have podcasts like this where we're having this exploration of what boundaries are and what they aren't, the more I think people will identify areas of their life that they could shore up with a boundary and feel empowered to actually set and hold them. So great, great, great segue. If people are listening to this and are like, wait, Melissa keeps talking about her Instagram or she keeps talking about these places where she talks about boundaries. I want to subscribe. I want to be a part of that. How do they do that? And where do they find the book on boundaries? Yeah. So uh, everything for me is Melissa U. So I'm on Instagram at Melissa U. My website is MelissaU.com. And the book of boundaries is available um, October 11th, 2022, wherever books are sold. So I'm not sure when this is coming out, but if it's before, you can pre-order it on my website or with your local bookseller. And if it's after, it's out uh, wherever you would normally buy your books. Hell yeah. And pre-orders are huge, right? Pre-orders help the book. I think that there's a lot of people that hear that. And I mean, myself included for a long time until I had friends writing books that were explaining to me how important it is. What's that process like? How how does pre-ordering the book help with the book success? Honestly, pre-orders are huge for authors. They are. It's proof of concept so that when my publisher goes to various retailers, they can say, look, here is interest. Here is why you Target or you Costco or you Walmart want to carry this book and like make sure you stock it. It's a really great way to get people interested in re- and booksellers interested in things like a book tour. It's a great way to get media interested so that I can you know, do all of these fabulous local podcasts and local media store uh, interviews and, and talk about boundaries. So yeah, pre-orders are really big for the author. And honestly, it feels really good when my community 
says, oh, I know the book doesn't come out for another like four months, but I already pre-ordered it. Like it's a gift to future me. Um, and I really want to support you. That just means, you know, so much to me personally. Awesome. Well, we will put all of the ways to get the book, to connect with you and anything and everything in between in the show notes. Is there any last little bit on boundaries that people are missing? Anything we can leave listeners with? You know, I just want to say, remember that boundaries are about freedom. The subtitle of this book is set the limits that will set you free. And this is like, um, it feels like a cheat code for life to learn how to set and hold healthy boundaries. And I'm absolutely here to help you do that. Awesome. Melissa, thank you so much. Thanks, Lindsay. 